0: Welcome to Inspect. My name is Ajay Karwal, and my guest today is Helen V. Holmes. Helen is a recent turn freelance designer-developer from Charlottesville, Virginia. She's previously worked at GitHub, Heroku, and Mozilla. She regularly speaks at tech conferences around the world and is currently getting her business off the ground and working on a new product in the hardware and art space. So, welcome to the show, Helen.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, glad you're here. Um, You're actually my first international guest on the podcast.
1: Oh my goodness, this is very exciting.
0: Yeah, you're my first guest that I haven't met in person, like the previous guests that I've had are people I've worked with in the past, so this should be interesting.
1: Well, now we know each other. Now we've met. To be fair, like through a video conference, but that is good enough.
0: Yeah. We live in a digital age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is the way everyone's doing it now, right?
1: Yeah. All of my friends are from the internet.
0: (laughs) Good stuff, good stuff. Um, So yeah, um, you know, obviously we're doing this uh, over a video call and I'm in the UK, you're in Virginia. It's around about 8.30 p.m. here. What sort of time is it where you are?
1: It is 3.30 p.m. here. So it's a beautiful day outside and I'm sitting inside doing work on a computer. Such is the life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's the complete opposite here. This is obviously, this is England. So of course it's raining. Um, (laughs) It's evening here. So everyone's winding down. But yeah, this is obviously, time differences, this is what you have to do, eh? Yep. So in in preparation for our chat, I was uh, having a look at your website and just doing a bit of research on your background and thinking of some questions to ask you. And I noticed that everywhere on the net, you are Helen V. Holmes, but I couldn't find anywhere what the V stands for. So is that something that you'd like to share or is it a secret? Uh,
1: So it's not a secret. Um, The V stands for Victoria, which is my middle name, which is really boring, but As a fun story, I did once work at a previous job where for five months, my boss um, also asked me the same question. He was like, what does a V stand for? And I told him like, oh, it's just my middle name. It stands for Victoria. And he goes, oh, I thought it stood for verses. Like you were at like internal strife with yourself at all times. And I was like, no, (laughs) it's not what it's for.
0: (laughs) That would have been a much better story.
1: I know, right? So let's just pretend nothing I said happened. It stands for verses. Helen versus Holmes at all times. Constant internal strife.
0: I'll just cut that bit out. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So you're from Virginia, Charlottesville. I've never been there myself. I mean, is that where you grew up? Have you always lived there?
1: Um, So I'm actually not from Charlottesville originally. I'm from uh, the Burbs in... Right outside of Washington, D.C. So I am from Virginia originally, but I've moved within Virginia. Um, But when... Like I think about where I grew up. I spent all my summers actually in this really small county called Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, which is surrounded by nothing and farmland. So I think of that mm-hmm. as like home. Um, but yeah. Now I'm from Charlottesville, I guess.
0: And and how, how different is that from where you actually grew up? I mean
1: It's um I would say it is a lot cuter <laughs> if that makes sense. When I was growing up in the burbs, like You had to drive everywhere. And in comparison, Charlottesville is really walkable. So I really like that. It's also a lot more southern. Like, I'm currently, so Charlottesville is a university town. And so because of that, it is fairly liberal and progressive. But you only need to drive like 30 minutes out of it and it becomes farm country again, which is sort of like a culture shock. Like, you really don't have to go very far before. you meet people from very, very different walks of life.
0: So it sounds like it's uh, a, a fairly sort of smallish town. You know, maybe a little bit more rural. Is is that? Is there a big tech scene in Charlottesville? Where are you from?
1: Not really. So the tech scene here is pretty sparse. Um, it's a beautiful town, but all of the tech that is happening, if it's happening at all, is either coming from the university. And I'm not a student, so I'm not part of the university. Or there are, like, two agencies in town, um, and I obviously don't work for either of those either. So my personal tech scene is, like, even smaller than the one here. Um, so I mostly get in my like, hanging out with other developers and other designers by meeting other remote workers and going to conferences.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said that you didn't work at any of those agencies. Um, so when you were working... Uh, not for yourself, for other companies? Were those in Virginia or were those in you know, other cities around the US?
1: So my my last job was actually with Mozilla. So my last full-time job was with Mozilla and they are based in San Francisco. So I was remote. Um, I was on the developer tools team and everyone was remote almost, um, or at the very least, like everyone was spread out, even if they weren't remote. So I didn't like, I, I always felt like I was very much part of a team. I never felt left out because everyone was all over the world. It was pretty, pretty crazy. So I got really good at remembering time zones, actually.
0: Was that quite difficult to work that way?
1: Um, It was not too difficult to work that way once you got your head around like, oh, so-and-so is in this city. That means I can ping him around this time. Um, what was difficult was is that because I'm on the East Coast of the United States, obviously Europe would always wake up before me. And so I'd always wake up in the morning and I'd have emails and bugs. And that sometimes was like, kind of like the, the daily grind, you know, it's like, oh man.
0: (laughs) All right, cool. Did did you try and adjust your working hours uh, to suit, you know, the majority of the company or did you just sort of stick to your, your local time zone?
1: Um, so I actually nine to five for me was perfect because I could talk with Europe in the morning. Um, like when I I would sometimes wake up kind of earlier if I knew that like I was working with people mostly in Europe for a particular sprint, and then my afternoon is morning for San Francisco. So it actually worked out pretty beautifully.
0: okay, good stuff, good stuff. and uh, that was at Mozilla and so before you've also worked at so a couple of other bigger companies, GitHub and heroku. um were they before or?
1: So they I actually have never worked at either of those companies, but I've worked with them so. At the beginning of the year, I went freelance, and both of those places have been clients of mine. Um, right, it's just been pretty fun.
0: All right, um, I, you were on the Dev Tools team at Mozilla, right? Because um, I remember the first time I actually sort of started hearing about uh, the work you do is um, on the Tools Day podcast when you were a guest on there.
1: Oh yeah, with
0: now. Yeah, yeah, quite <laughs> a while ago. Um, and I remember you—you know—I was hearing that and how you were working on Dev Tools and. Um, I, I'm not a Mozilla user myself, but that episode did make me you know spend a few days working in Firefox and just trying out the dev tools. Obviously I, you know like most people, I use Chrome as well.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow, I'm so flattered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what was it like working on that sort of project? you know obviously designing the tools that people use to to build their sites basically and and work on their sites.
1: It was really informative. I got to say, the people who work on DevTools just have to be at the forefront of everything that's coming down the pipeline. And so that was really fun for me, because previously, when I was working as a web developer, you always kind of knew that something exciting was happening in CSS. But there was always like this, ugh, I can't use it yet. Like right now, the big thing is CSS Grid. It's like, ugh, can't use it yet. Whereas when you're working on DevTools, you have to build out the tooling for them. And so you actually, not only do you get to work with the newest technologies, you kind of have to because you have to be thinking about how am I going to build out tooling for people using these things? And so that was super exciting. Um, the parts of the job that were really hard and sort of scary were that, like if you kind of took a wrong misstep, there were a lot of people watching and a lot of people who would make sure you knew that they didn't like you or what you were doing. And that's just sort of like an open source, like. Building products for building software, building anything, Um, but there are a lot of people who use Firefox and a lot of people in the DevTools. So,
0: are you still a Mozilla user, Firefox user, now that you've left?
1: Oh, of course, I (laughs) still. I mean, obviously, I use all of the browsers because you know you've got to do cross-browser testing, and I actually now have like the weird habit of I use one browser for personal browsing and another for work browsing and then certain websites. So I'll, I'll spin up a different browser for it. I always have all the browsers open. It's
0: yeah, either it's yeah. great
1: or it's awful. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the Firefox dev tools are brilliant, especially seeing as they've got um, some of the tools to work with CSS grid. And um, mm-hmm. they've, you know, they've got some features like the grid overlay that um, Firefox, uh, sorry, not Firefox, Chrome haven't implemented yet. And obviously Internet Explorer are a little bit behind on, but yeah, um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I've I've been playing around with Grid recently as well, um, since it has, you know, been launched in all the browsers last month. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's nice to work on that in Firefox Dev Tools as well because you can really see visually what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, so now you're working for yourself. Now you've set up your own um, consultancy business, I guess, or freelance.
1: Yeah. So I'm technically an LLC. I don't know what that means in Great Britain, but Um, I set up my own business at the beginning of the year. Um, I'd wanted sort of a change of pace. Um, One of my very good friends went freelance around the same time. And so we both were setting up our companies in parallel. And that was really encouraging because we both were able to give each other advice about like trying to write contracts for the first time and how we did our taxes because it's different when you're a business and all of that sort of stuff that is kind of boring, but um, I have really enjoyed it because now I get to solve all sorts of different design problems. And I really like variety.
0: So did you make that decision once you already had some clients uh, in the pipeline or was it a feet first, you know, dump into the deep end and just see how it goes?
1: It was very much feet first. And I gotta say, so I was setting it up in, so I was doing all of this like at the very beginning of the new year. And I'm sure that you know this, like, Right after the holidays, everyone's you know kind of quiet. Everyone trickles back into work, and I at this time was like setting up my business and trying to pursue contracts. And you know everyone's kind of like slow to answer emails during this time. And I was very nervous for a little bit. I was like, "What if no one hires me?" But once everyone was sort of back in office, it it was not a problem. Um, had clients and was working by February, so it all went okay. <laughs> But I was very nervous for a
0: little bit. Yeah, that's one of the fears I've always had as well. Because, um, like in between jobs, I although I do work for another company now. In between jobs, I have worked for myself, and I do do some freelance work on on the side as well. And I've always thought about whether I should put more effort into a freelance business and try and make that my sole income. But because of things like mortgage and family commitments, and you know, just life in general, um, it's just one of those fears that what happens if I don't have a client for a certain amount of time and, you know, all of these bills start coming in, but the income's not coming in. Um,
1: yeah. I got to say like one of the best things I ever did was put like a ton of money away. I sort of knew that I wanted to do this eventually. And so I've been slowly accumulating like a really, really large saving funds just so that I could deal with problems like that one. Like, oh my goodness, what if I have a dry spell? Um, so that's part of the way that I approached that problem. And then the other big thing that my family was really nervous about was, like, Helen, what happens with your health insurance? Because this is a very American problem. Mm -hmm. Um, We all, but like, lots of Americans get their insurance through their employers. But luckily, my husband also works. So that really helped. I get my insurance through him. But, yeah, that was, like, one of the big fears that, like, my immediate family all had. They were like, how will you go to the doctor?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, is quite an important one, isn't it?
1: It is an important problem.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot happening around that in America at the moment, but we won't make this a politics show.
1: Yeah, I know. Pretend I said nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so are you working with, uh, you know, any, any exciting projects at the moment? Is there anything that you can talk about that you can share?
1: Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. So, like, broadly something I'm working on, obviously my business, like, I kind of talked about that, um, which has been fun because... Now I kind of pursue, like, where do I want my portfolio to go? Like, what sort of problems do I want to solve? And that's pretty exciting. But when it comes to, like, a cool project I'm working on, um, I'm at the very beginning of a brand-new project, which is always a fun place to be. It's all sunshine and rainbows right now. Um, So for a few months, I've been working on, like, this brand-new portfolio, and that's finally launched. Um, But now I have space for this new project, which is something I've been mulling over for a few years. It's, like, this remixer for famous art pieces that I'm hooking up to a hardware display board. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's part hardware, it's part iPhone app, and then it's also a server that processes the images and like spits them out onto the board. Um, And I'm super in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. It feels great. Every little problem is really hard to solve. But um, I'm working on it with actually my husband and he uh, his name is Brian, and um, it's really fun to work with someone who has really different strengths and he does like all this like low level algorithms, like crunching big numbers. And I like really like fonts. So we're very different when it comes to like strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and then I'm always kind of working on like various written pieces. Um, I don't like to write about tech necessarily directly, but more the way tech and computers, interact with like my own human experience. That sounds really wishy-washy, but mm-hmm. that's always something I'm working on. I have like 10 drafts, so, like pretty much at any one time. And I just kind of see what sticks and turns into something. Um, so those are kind of the things I'm working on right now.
0: Yeah, so this this hardware, this art project, uh, what sort of hardware are you using?
1: Um, so I am designing my own PCB board for it. It uses NeoPixels. Um, which if you look them up on Adafruit, they just kind of look like these tiny little squares. They're like these tiny programmable LEDs. Um, and so my idea is kind of to like set up, I don't know if you remember like light pin boards. those were like a big thing in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like the nerd programmer version of that where like customizing all the lights and being able to like play with it on your phone and I'm working on something like that right now. Um,
0: Okay, so you, so are you kind of recreating art using lights?
1: Basically, yeah. Okay, oh, that's cool. That is a um, good way of putting it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So have you have you got any particular art pieces that you're using as your as your uh, you know your test pieces?
1: Yeah, I do actually have um, a few. I have been using Starry Night by Van Gogh. Um, I did one. I did like a pixel representation of Mona Lisa, and I feel like I did one other, but. I can share the links with you later because they're fun. Like they're currently, they were. Those are literally just things that like I've done on my computer, but they were really fun to work on anyway.
0: Yeah, that'll be Um, good if you could share links to obviously what you've done and even some of the hardware that you're using. Then I can I could put some of that in the show notes as well. All right. I mean, we're we're actually doing something well, not similar, but um, at the job that I work at, um, we're experimenting with a lot of IoT. Um, hardware at the moment, so there's a, one of the guys is giving a talk on Friday about um, a device called Puck PuckJS, which is a Ooh. it's like a Bluetooth button which you can program using JavaScript and uh, he's been working on something with that Ooh, very nice. um, so that should be interesting but he, yeah, the plan is for everyone in the company to try and build something together and uh, maybe integrate it with Alexa because you can use some Alexa skills now um, mm-hmm. on yeah, non, non-Amazon hardware um so yeah that's that's kind of what's happening in the next couple of weeks where I work.
1: Oh that's super exciting.
0: I've never actually worked at any hardware before like that so it's something that's going to be completely new to a lot of us actually.
1: Yeah that'll be super exciting. I love it. I think that sort of like the same joy that I had when I very first like got a website working and was like able to change things and make it look the way I wanted that same sort of joy I had it all over again for hardware. Like, and I made even like really simple stuff work, like make that little button on like the Arduino starter project light up. I was like, wow, yeah. this is cool. I need yeah, to do more yeah. of this.
0: Yeah, I went, I went to this uh, local meetup near, near, near home, and uh, there was a guy there called Ben Foxall. Um, he's a JavaScript developer from Oxford uh, in the UK. And uh, he was using one of these puck buttons, and he had connected it via a web server, to some, like, internet-connected fairy lights. So when he hits the button, the lights change colour. And then he also wired them up to a WordPress blog. So he presses the button, it created a post on his WordPress blog, and then the lights were watching his RSS feed from that post, and then they changed colour as well. So, you know, it wasn't like a groundbreaking end result because the lights just changed colour, but the fact that he was doing it all over a web server and through WordPress blog just shows you just, like, with a few lines of JavaScript, what's actually possible. It's pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: I did something like that similar. So like this project, like I said, I've been like thinking about it for a while and I had none of the prerequisite skills in order to build it. So I've been doing like smaller projects to ramp up to it. And last year in October, one of the things I did was like I made an iPhone app that connected with um, very similar to um, what he had done with Puck. Like I had connected it to... Um, a NeoPixel ring so that when someone tweeted at me, the NeoPixel ring would like light up. Um, You can set like a custom link color that you see on your profile on the web um, on Twitter. So like mine is like a deep blue. So the NeoPixel ring, when anyone anyone tweeted at me, it would like light up their like predefined color. And no one understood it when I tried to tweet about it because it was really confusing. but it was a lot of fun to work on.
0: <laughs> and then everyone starts tweeting at you and you got this strobe light going on you. Yeah,
1: yeah it, that's actually what happened. Like I was at a conference like playing with it, like it was sitting in my lap and like I was trying to explain what was happening and then everyone starts tweeting at me and then I'm like, "Oh my god." Like I was like trying to like put it under my shirt and like crumple it over myself like, oh, "I'm sorry other people giving talks at this conference, I'm like lighting up in those in the crowd. It's what's <laughs> going on over there." <laughs>
0: Excellent, excellent. So that's a really nice segue actually onto conferences, which was my next question. So you've, you've spoken at quite a few places. Uh, you've got a few videos on your website that you've shared. What, what was the most recent one talk that you've given them?
1: I think my most recent talk was at ViewSource. That was in Berlin in September. Yeah, that sounds right.
0: What was the topic of that one?
1: Um, I gave a talk on web typography. It was called Type as Your Right. And it was all about um, how you can use progressive loading enhancements to have really nice web typography on your websites, but also not like create terrible loading experiences on mobile where like you can't even see like any of the content yet, which is like something you see on like a lot of sites on mobile on the web where it's like you're just waiting for a couple seconds like waiting to be able to read anything. like that's lame. The talk was about getting rid of that. <laughs>
0: Okay. And are you are you speaking anywhere else this year? Uh,
1: yeah. So I am speaking at Revolution Conf in uh, June. So that's coming up really soon. Um, I'm giving a talk on ways to get designers into your code base. I actually have a discount code, which I could link to later. But um, yeah, uh, that is like currently my only speaking engagement for this year. I had to kind of had to like put like a pause actually on the public speaking while I was like, getting myself situated um, at the beginning of the year and getting clients and everything. Um, So now I'm like ramping back up again.
0: So is is this talk going to be, because you've done a similar one before about getting designers into the the Xcode code base? Didn't you do something with iOS? Yeah,
1: so the first time I ever gave this talk, this was um, over a year ago at this point. I gave it in March of last year. And at the time, it was called 10 Ways to Get Designers into Your Swift Code Base. Um, and I gave it at a Swift conference. Um, and since then, um, my philosophies have, I would say, matured. And I actually think that sort of the main things I want to communicate with that. Talk really transcend necessarily technical architecture. And when I gave the talk before, it was like really embedded in how do you get designers into a Swift code base. Um, and like I said, I think that um, a lot of my talking points like really don't necessarily have very much to do with the code. Oh, that's so,
0: good. It's good that you've you know made an evolution of the, of a of a talk that you've given before as well. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see how your opinion has changed on this topic in within a year or so.
1: Yeah. Hopefully everyone likes the evolution. Hopefully, hopefully it's good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how do you get into, uh, sort of speaking at these events? Is this, uh, something that you pitch for or are, um, conference organizers approaching you now?
1: Um, so it's a little combo of both. Um, in the beginning it was all pitches. Now it's still mostly pitches. Um, and occasionally like once in a blue moon, a conference organizer will reach out to me, um, so before my company could send me to speak, now I'm all by my lonesome. Conferences need to find the budget to have me to have me come out. So that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. Some conferences, um, I'll get accepted and like they'll love the talk, but when we come down to brass tacks of how do I get there, sometimes it's not always possible for me to attend.
0: Okay, yeah, so how does it work with conferences? I've never spoken at a conference. Um, so just a bit of history about why I started this podcast is I've never, personally, I've never really been a confident public speaker, like in talking in in front of big crowds. I can't even talk in front of a microphone. (laughs) Um, So I thought that, you know, before I sort of try and talk in front of a crowd, let me just build up some experience in talking about topics that I'm interested in. So that's why I started this podcast, actually. And um, because the goal, it ultimately is to try and try and talk publicly as well. But at the moment, I've never spoken at a conference. So, do they generally sort of cover your travel costs? Do they, do they get you to the conference, or you know, are you left to your own devices to get there?
1: So it totally runs the gamut. Um, unfortunately, it really depends on the conference. But um, I, as a rule for myself, only attend conferences where they can cover my travel um, mm. and cover my hotel. But some conferences, um, especially the ones that are not for profit. Sometimes they can't cover anything, and so they'll look for mostly local speakers, people who can, who can just drive there. Any meetup basically kind of runs on that model because meetups are typically, you know, they're run like they're run by people like us who have full time jobs. They're just looking for someone to come and like talk for fifteen minutes to like thirty minutes on like something cool they're doing, um, and that's like a great way to initially get started is by like going to meetups. Um whereas like some of your larger conferences are able to cover your travel. Um it just depends. Um they're just questions you need to ask.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Do do you remember what your first big conference was, what the talk was about, and how you how you actually got onto that conference?
1: Oh my goodness, like it was yesterday. Um, my first talk was at Cascadia. This was Cascadia.js, that's a conference that happens um it kind of moves between Seattle, Vancouver, and Portland. So it actually goes up into Canada some years and then others it comes um, down into the States on the West Coast. Um, it what had happened was they had like a like a they had a GitHub where they were accepting proposals. So you opened up an issue and you like put in your talk abstract in there. And my talk was actually originally um, rejected. And then later they emailed me and said, like, hey, we were we had a few dropouts. Would you like to come? We like, we always love to have like brand new speakers, um, because you know, like we like to get new people talking. And I was like, um, yes. And I had decided that I the proposal that had been accepted was one on like JavaScript prototypal inheritance. And um looking back on it, I have no idea why I chose that as. I I really was just like trying to get accepted to a conference and this was the abstract I had written. I had never written one before. It wasn't a very good abstract. I very immediately felt like, Oh my goodness, I don't know anything about JavaScript. How on earth am I supposed to write a talk about JavaScript? (laughs) Explain it to other people. Um, which is not true. Now I can say I know stuff about JavaScript, but at the time I really felt like I didn't. Um, I basically what I did was, is I, it was, I wrote out this like long thing on, on JavaScript in a GIST file, like a private GIST. Um, I morphed it into a story about like learning styles and also still about JavaScript. And I sent it out to people. And it's really funny, because this was such an important part of writing a conference talk, even for me now. Because I sent it out to some people who I really admire. And large swaths of it were just wrong, which I'm so glad I had it looked over. Um, because, you know, it's always yeah. important to have your code reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I needed. Um, so I cleaned it up. I uh, Getting to the conference at the time was actually pretty challenging because that year it was being held in Blaine, Washington, which is like when you look at a map of the United States and you look on the West Coast, it's like at the very, very tip, like right along the line, um, like before you get into Canada. And getting there is actually logistically kind of difficult. Like I was living in Charlottesville. I took a bus up to like the next big city, which was D.C. And then I had two flights. And then once I got into – I landed in Seattle, which is like the next big city out of way from Blaine, Washington. And then I took a train and then I took a bus. My nerves were wrecked. I was so terrified. (laughs) I was like – Really, really nervous, like I wasn't like eating food. I was like, I have to give a talk in front of people about a thing I don't know about, but I will say this, it was all fine, like everything went well, I prepped, I managed to do everything, but yeah, my first talk was at cascadia j s thank you cascadia j s organizers on javascript prototypal inheritance
0: is that a conference that still happens now?
1: It doesn't happen anymore um and I believe the conference organizers actually did write up um, a blurb about like why they decided to discontinue it, and I don't remember the specifics. But another conference has, called Seattle JS has um, popped up, sort of in its place, because there was okay. a lot of love in that area for Cascadia.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good. And um, how do you sort of come up with the talks for for your conferences that you that you're speaking at? Are they um are they determined by the conference uh, are they looking for talks that are topics or is it almost a free-for-all
1: um so what I do actually is I try to so in the beginning what I would do is I would look at conference websites and I'd look at sort of the things that they wanted and I'd see if I could craft a proposal that like fit for what they were looking for uh-huh. and more of what I do now is um I come up with things I ask myself two questions I ask myself, what do I want to learn? And what do I have to teach? And when thinking through those questions, I come up with things that I think I could give a 25-minute talk on and enjoy the process of creating and giving a 25-minute talk. And I create an abstract, in essence. And then I go around, and I try to look at conferences. And I say, do I think this conference, like, do I think this talk would even fit in with this conference? And if it does, then I submit.
0: And then from there, it's all systems go to actually try and write something and come up with the talk.
1: Yes, exactly. And from there, I look at my abstract. I say to myself, what was I thinking? And then, yeah, you go and you make it work. <laughs> you make it happen.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. Are, are there particular places where you can find out about conferences that are looking for speakers, or do you just need to check on the conference's own websites?
1: Um, so there are two resources that I use a lot. There's um, a site called papercall.io, Um, and they, they're, all they do is it's just conferences and they're, they're called CFPs. They release their calls for papers on there. Um, and I actually keep all my talk abstracts in there, even for conferences that don't use that service because they just have like a nice little setup for organizing your talks. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there is a really great, uh, email subscription service that is called Technically Speaking. And, um, I'm, I can't remember the names of the two women who run it, and I say that because like I can only think of their Twitter handles. But I will find that information later. Um, <laughs> they run sort of I I'm not sure if it's weekly or if it's biweekly, but they run um, like a tiny letter where they have like just sort of like rolling like these are currently conferences that have like open CFPs, and that's pretty great. And there are a few other services okay. too. Um, I'm actually writing like a really long blog post on how I write talks. Um, and so I actually like have all of this information written down already. So I'll send that info along.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you, do you think that'll be ready to publish anytime soon? because I could put the link to that in this in the show notes as well. It'd be good to tie that in with this episode.
1: Hopefully, I'm hoping to have it done and released on like Friday. I say that those are like famous last words like I think I can get that done by the end of the week we'll see but you will be the first to know Ajay
0: that's perfect because I I try to release an episode on a Monday or a Tuesday usually um so if you get it done by this Friday then that's perfect
1: all right it's race against the clock
0: yeah pressure no pressure (laughs) All right, no, brilliant. There's some good uh, good advice on public speaking. Definitely, some you know I'll check out some of those resources. Uh, it's something I'd love to get into. I just haven't really had a chance yet. And I suppose meetups. You know, there are a few meetups where I'm from. So I'm based in a, a place called Wokingham, which is in in Berkshire. So it's about it's about thirty minute drive west of London. Um, but it's quite a growing tech scene. There's a lot of big companies around here, and because it is just outside London as well, um, a lot of companies I'm, are. Moving here to get out of the sort of, you know, the rush zone of London. And a lot of people are are actually living here as well and commuting in because it's it's a commuter town, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's growing. So there's quite a lot of uh, smaller meetups and smaller tech events that happen within the Reading and Berkshire area. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do try and go to as many of those as I can, but I haven't spoken at any of them yet. Uh, But yeah, I just haven't thought of a topic. Um, I think that's the hardest part.
1: You're about to learn all of this stuff about like hardware at work. Obviously, you need to like write down your experiences because other people would learn from you.
0: Yeah. You have something it. to say. Or just or just do what you did and just pick a topic and then learn about it later.
1: Yeah. It's I will say it's a stressful way to um, it is a stressful way to go and give talks, but I will say you are very proud of yourself at the end. Like you're on cloud nine after you've given the talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, that's, that's all of my questions that I had. Um, do you have any questions for me?
1: Do I have any questions for you? I know we didn't prepare um,
0: this section, but...
1: Oh my goodness. I like want to ask you if if you were to give a talk, like what do you think... You would give it on. I almost like want to workshop this with you, like right now. Like we can come up with a talk that you can give.
0: <laughs> well, I spend most of my day working with CSS, uh, so I suppose that's you know the topic that I've got the most experience with, and uh, that I'd feel most comfortable talking about. Um, so yeah, maybe I could um, you know follow in the footsteps of people like Rachel, Andrew, and Jen Simmons and start talking about CSS Grid. Uh, It's obviously the hot topic at the moment, and not everyone's explored it. So, yeah, maybe that could be a thing.
1: I would love to see, like, CSS Grid, like, remixed with, like, other really cool... Like, there are so many people who talk about, like, the magic of CSS in essence. um, Yeah. I feel like even that term, there is definitely...
0: Have you seen the, the stuff that Jen Simmons has done, where she's recreated, like, Mondrian art, and she's done a load of experiments?
1: Oh, yeah, no, I... Um, so Jen Simmons and I actually, she works at Mozilla. She and I work together on the tooling for the Firefox developer tools. So I am very familiar with her work. She does really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, so she's done some really cool experiments with Grid. And obviously if you just have a little browser around on CodePen, some of the things that people are, are creating with it are are amazing. You know, game there's games and um, all sorts. Um, yeah, so maybe something like that. But I don't know. I've I've thought about this for a while and I still don't really have an answer. But um I will. I'll think about it. That's we'll all right. be the first to know.
1: I do I do want to be the first to know because I'm excited about it. I um I don't know. I, I really do believe like giving talks is really, really great for one's career and there's just a lot to be said about technology. You should do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have you ever given any talks in the UK? Or have you got any plans to?
1: Um, have I ever given any talks in the UK? I have not. I would love to. UK conferences, hit me up.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 there's quite a few big ones around here. There's um, Especially in Oxford, uh, there's a few in London. I wouldn't be able to name them right now. Um, probably not as many as I would hope they are. You know, the, a lot of them tend to stay around in Europe, so they're a bit more accessible to everybody. But, know, yeah, there's just not enough. It'd be nice if there were some bigger ones who were looking for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'd be great if you are over here, you know, definitely share the details and um, hopefully we'll meet up in person one day. You never know.
1: That would be wonderful. Then we can meet IRL, not just like <laughs> over Google Hangouts.
0: Yeah. well, this is, this is IRL now, isn't it? This is it, real. Though.
1: It's like, it's true. It's real time.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool. So, um, all right. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, thanks for being my first international guest.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And Thank you for having me be part of your evening. Like, it's 8.30 there. I really appreciate it. It's like dinner time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, if people want to find out a bit more about you, uh, where can they find you? Anything you want to plug?
1: All right, my plugs. Um, So on Twitter, I am at Helen V. Holmes. That is Helen spelled with an H and only one L. A V as in verses. Holmes as in Sherlock. That's a UK shout out right there. Um, I, I my website is also helenbholmes.com. dot um, My pin tweet right now is um, something I wrote recently, which is called "Critique is Terrifying." Which um, I started like a part time job as a hobby, and I wrote about it in terms of like receiving critique through design critiques and through code reviews and just, like, how you get better and how, like, you learn what kinds of critique to take and what you don't. So those are my plugs.
0: <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And uh, all those all those links and everything will be in the show notes as well. Uh, but I'm sure you can just Google Helen V. Holmes. Make sure you put the V in there because that's how she's known. And Helen Holmes apparently doesn't get you the right result. I've tried.
1: No, Helen Holmes is... Um, like a silent film actress from the early 1800s. Don't do it. She's not me.
0: Definitely not the right person. She's
1: cool too, but not me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's why the V is in there, just to differentiate. That's why the V
1: is there, yeah. That's literally the reason.
0: All right, Wicked. It's been really good talking to you, and uh, thank you again yeah, for being being on the show and um, hopefully speak to you again soon in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a good uh, rest of the week and uh, get that blog post written by Friday.
1: I will. All right. All right. <laughs> you have a great rest of the week, too. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye.